Hello and welcome to the Spiked Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and joining me down the line this week for this special episode, we have Spiked's editor, Tom Slater. Hello. And Spiked's columnist, Ella Whelan. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about the end of the second Elizabethan age. So Queen Elizabeth II died yesterday. The public were informed around 6.30 last night. The Queen, famously on the throne for 70 years, uh, reign spanning 15 UK prime ministers, 14 US presidents. Tom, you know, if nothing else, Queen Elizabeth II is just an extraordinary historical figure. No, it's a cliche, and cliches tend to abound at times like this, but you do get that real sense of an era coming to an end. I think all mm. of us sort of implicitly think of this period as the modern era, the time that she's been on the throne. You've got to be quite elderly to remember anyone else occupying that particular position. And I also think that yesterday, particularly in that kind of long quiet between what between the Queen actually dying and the, and the public finding out, that kind of long period of silence in which the usual churn of the news just had that one 29-word statement about her being unwell to deal with. Um, you got a glimpse of that role that she has played, which is to create some sort of sense of of fellow feeling to create to be some sort of conduit for a, a sense of nation and a connection to one another. I mean, obviously, Spites is a Republican publication, proudly so. But in a way, I think those are arguments for another day because I think that yesterday we really did sort of glimpse the the role that she did play, which is was providing that kind of sense of, of connectedness, even in an era which is increasingly kind of fragmented, identitarian, splintered. And I think that was that was quite interesting and quite powerful, really. And as you say, there's, some, there's something about the reason that she was such a successful monarch insofar as being able to be on the throne for so long, be so popular, was because there was something in her, certain values that she was seen to represent that people did genuinely cling to, that they did really appreciate. And I think that's definitely worth reflecting on in this, in this moment, not least given the fact that all the other kind of alternatives in that sense seem so drastically different to those ideas of service and stoicism and all the rest of it that I'm sure we'll get into that the Queen for many people was, was seen to represent really. Yeah, Ella, this is someone who ruled for 70 years and you could not even know most of her opinions on, on, on anything. You know, she really kept her views close to her chest despite the fact, you know, living through the post-war, the Cold War, the, you know, post-Cold War era, covid and we live in a time when, you know, you're expected to voice an opinion on everything, confess uh, your inner life to everyone. And yet she kind of remains stoic throughout. That's quite, you know, an achievement, really. I think I probably come at things a little differently, which is I think the interesting thing about uh, the second Elizabethan age is how it marked such a shift for the monarchy itself. Um, and that kind of historical context of uh, the line of the monarchy changing, you know, you had this significant move from the 1800s to the 1900s of royals realizing that they couldn't rule anymore in a in a way that they used to but elizabeth uh, realized that in order to for the monarchy to survive it had to shape shift into this role of public service of duty um, and she has managed to capture that and continue that for her 70 years of reign now whether or not um you know the, the political context of that i think is interesting and yes um you know uh, republican arguments are probably for another day i think we should pay respect to the dead no matter what or who they are um but i'm not 
I'm probably not willing to go the whole nine yards of ermine. I think there's something interesting to say about what this means for the future of the monarchy um, and whether or not her son Charles is going to be able to continue that sort of quiet stoicism. I think probably a lot of people are not so sure. Tom, I mean, the, obviously the Queen's stoicism invites a contrast with the younger royals mm. in particular, uh, not just Meghan and Harry, but even, you know, William and Kate and this this sense that we have to all confess how we feel inside, you know, the sense that we have to parade our vulnerabilities. That's something that she managed to resist. No, completely. There's this interesting kind of contrast or paradox or whatever you want to call it insofar as the Queen's seen as someone who sort of modernised the monarchy, if that's not a contradiction in terms, <laughs> insofar as, as Ella was saying, cementing that shift from having a slightly more sort of almost mystical status to being sort of public servants to being more accessible. Obviously, many people go back to the televising of the coronation and really bringing the sort of pomp and ceremony closer to ordinary people, people huddling around televisions and all the rest of that to watch it. But also, particularly in the later years, that you, you see this kind of quiet revolt against what we're told are the the new values of our age, you know, which is soul bearing, which is letting it all hang out, which is kind of the self over some sense of public service. And in a, in an interesting sort of way, because we're often told that those are the new values of the modern era. And yet mm. in pushing back against those things, that's precisely the sort of thing that you hear people appreciate about the Queen. If you look at polls, etc., the word service is omnipresent today and is whenever there's discussions of, or was discussions of Queen Elizabeth. Um, questions even about tradition, which again is something that today is seen as a bit of a dirty word. You know, there's a tendency on the part of the new elites, at least, to see the past just as a kind of never-ending sort of litany of horrors that best we can, the best we can possibly hope to do is cleanse ourselves and break from it entirely. And yet now, those were precisely the things that people really appreciated. I think what it kind of showed in many respects was whilst a lot of those new and in my view quite kind of regressive tendencies, those kind of narcissistic tendencies, they might have been kind of being pushed by the top down, by the new elites, all the rest of it, but they still didn't necessarily have that kind of purchase amongst ordinary people. And in a strange sort of way, um, the Queen became a kind of, you know, an emblem of that for many for many individuals. Um, and that's one thing which I think is is why there's that kind of there's always been that sort of level of appreciation. And that's not to say that these people were kind of forelock-tugging monarchists necessarily, um, although there's obviously a fair few of them out in force in, um, in, in the, and will be in the coming days. But at the same time, that kind of sense of a connection to the past, a connection to one another, a connection to nationhood, all of these things which are sort of demonised unnecessarily, whether you, from as far as I'm concerned, whether you're a Republican or a monarchist, there's good things to be drawn from that. And what's interesting is not only do you see um, the opposite, really, from the political class, from the new establishment, as you say, you also see that from the younger royals. So there's a sense, whether we're talking about the monarchy or whether we're talking about society in general, that almost what's coming along to replace um, this particular period is something which, and in a sense, that I think is almost more regressive in many respects. Mm. And perhaps you can even see some of that in, in Charles too, with his you know environmental campaigning. I mean... He will. He obviously draws a lot of praise from those kinds of uh, elites for exactly this. Even though you know you'd expect the role of the constitutional monarch to keep quiet and just um, move things on, <laughs> not be the not be the director of events, so to speak. Ella, you can't avoid talking about Charles because obviously, with the death of Elizabeth comes the new king. And you know, listening to some of the coverage this morning, Rory Stewart on uh, the Today program on Radio Four. 
um, talking about how wonderful it is that you have such a compassionate king um, in Charles. You know, obviously on the one hand, I'm in danger of losing my cornflakes listening to it. On the other hand, there is this kind of strange uh, exercise in um, almost national myth-making that's, that I think is probably about to happen, in which Charles's role as um, Prince of Wales, which he was, you know, you can, you can pretty confidently say, pretty politically active in terms of his um you know writing to ministers about certain issues um as you said fraser being very forthright in his views on climate activism on a kind of lots of the things we talk about on this podcast on a need to sort of stop any kind of progress in the name of saving the planet there is this naive understanding that sort of a a a kind of a line is drawn and all of that's forgotten once his the crown is placed on his head procedurally that might be the case and on the face of it that might be you know it might be true that he, the way in which he speaks and the messages that are issued from the palace uh mimic the kind of um reserved nature of his mother but we know that this is a change um and the people who have been supporters of his campaigns will know that they've got a friend in the monarch now with charles being in place and the reason that's significant is i think it forces us to even those who are sort of on the fringes of republicanism it forces us to ask questions you know in a sensitive time after the current events about what the future of the monarchy is and in some ways um I, this is a kind of a, a difficult point to make because in some ways i think it's better that we know more about what this person in a position of you know constitutional power in british politics is about because um you know those of us who have been excited in the last six seven years about democratic change about uh you know talking about politics from a more populist point of view have to start negotiating um, the tensions between those sort of radical ideas and the, as Tom was saying, the kind of um, the the idea of tradition or the idea of continuity that everyone's making a lot about. I think, you know, view, the, the values of um, tradition, continuity, morality, stoicism are deeply, deeply important. Um, but I think we have to untangle them from an institution that is uh, very specific in what kinds of traditions and morality it stands for. But all of that is to come. And I think having Charles as a king is going to provide some kind of, is definitely going to provide material for some interesting political battles and soul searching. Tom? No, I take the point about the fact that Charles is going to be a very different sort of animal. And we all know that he comes into this with so much more baggage. We all kind of get that clear sense in which it's going to be a real kind of uphill struggle if he wants to kind of maintain what um, Elizabeth managed to carve out, which was that kind of, that sense of sort of separation, all the rest of it. But whilst I think it invites questions about the monarchy, I think looking back on how popular the Queen was, which is something that no one can really deny. I mean, around the time of the Jubilee, it was something like 86% public support or something like this. There were some bumps along the road with Diana and all the rest of it, but still maintained quite a high level. Um, it also asked us to invite some questions about republicanism as well, not to question the principles of it, which obviously I completely support, but also just how naff it's become, uh, how marginal it's become. Obviously, it's been um, seeing a bit of an uptick in recent years, particularly amongst the young, for quite obvious reasons, I think. But at the same time, it has remi- remained on the sort of margins of political life in, in Britain, certainly for a long time. All of that could change quite quickly. You never really know. But at the same time, I think there's clear ways in which it has gone awry, you know, a tendency towards 
sort of sneering at the pomp and ceremony and ordinary people's enjoyment of that, you know, mm. as if it's um, kind of treating them all as, as drones has been a bit of a tendency in recent years. And also, um, as we've been talking about a little bit, dispensing with ideas that they associate with the monarchy, but actually have more universal importance. They almost create the situation in which ideas around nation, around um, a sense of national fellow feeling, a sense of a connectedness to one another, but also to the past. They've almost just completely surrendered that to an institution like the monarchy or to other forces in politics or other institutions. Uh, because they've demonised it. They've painted it as something which is necessarily backward. And so you end up people clinging to those values and, and seeing them and appreciating them in a figure like the Queen because of the fact that they were scorned elsewhere. And I think it's just a, it's it's really important to, to tease those things out because it's not, you know, I feel like even a kind of properly democratic Britain, a proper republic, should have a strong sense both of where it's gone and where it's going, um, that you shouldn't, you don't need to be some sort of monarchist to see that the past is something that should be learnt about and built upon rather than just sort of cleansed and dispensed with as if it was something deeply unpleasant that we should all do our best to try and forget and move on from. And it's just quite clear that um, for so many ways, particularly the kind of Republican movement such as it is, has dispensed with a lot of that and also become tends to kind of appeal to a section of society which is quite technocratic, quite anti-mass and quite against the values of ordinary people. You know, I always sort of say, you know, show me a Republican, you're probably showing me somebody who voted Remain. And I don't mean that as a, as a, as a sneer, but I think it shows the kind of conf- the coalescence of certain values in that generally venerable tradition of Republicanism, but has gone so awry in recent years, in my view. Well, there's going to be so much to talk about over the coming days and weeks as we get more reaction, as we have the state funeral, of course. And uh, we will be back next week to bring you more of that commentary. Thank you for listening to The Spike Podcast. We're back every Friday and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website, which is spiked-online.com. See you next time.